The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 11 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC11. This is Secret Church 11, episode 4. Let's dive right in to God's design for parenting, the gospel and parenting. Three primary passages that I put at the top of your notes there to inform kind of this discussion on parenting. Deuteronomy 6 at the very end. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then Ephesians 6. So right after Paul talks about marriage, talks about parenting. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Colossians 3, very similarly, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, gospel foundations, foundations based upon the gospel. One, God gives children to families by His grace. Their heritage from the Lord blesses the man who fills his quiver with children. Parents, your children belong to God not primarily to you. He has entrusted them to you by His grace. So God gives children to families by His grace, and God gives children to families for His glory. This means that parents don't have the right to determine how to raise their children on their agenda or for their convenience. Children are to be raised for the glory of God. This is huge. Just as a reminder, parents, the goal of biblical parenting is not to help your children get a great education, be a great athlete, go on great dates, have a great career, Or make great money. All of these things are world's definition of success. And if we're not careful, then we'll take our kids to practices all over the place. Teach them to get good grades. Prioritize taking them to all these things that we fill their minds and their lives with. They need to be successful in the world. But the problem is, one day they're going to stand before God. And all of those things that we've told them are most important are going to burn up in the fire. And they're going to stand as beggars before God if they don't know what is most important. The goal of biblical parenting is to help your children love a great God, Matthew 22, and accomplish a great commission. We want children that make the glory of God known to the ends of the earth no matter what it costs us. Remind you, parents, children belong to God, not ultimately to you. And Jesus actually expects them to leave you behind to make the gospel known in the world. Biblical parenting propels kids into mission. It doesn't hinder them from it. That changes the way we, we parent. So, gospel instructions to parents based on that. Two primary commands in Ephesians chapter 6. Working kind of from the back to the front in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Number one, instruct your children so that they know the word. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. It's literally just an educational piece of parenting. You look in scripture, the first time we even see a reference to teaching the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 8, teaching God's word, it's in Genesis chapter 18, when God gives Abraham responsibility for teaching his son. And then what we read just a second ago in Deuteronomy chapter 6 makes clear, we must have a verbal commitment to the word in our homes. We talk about the word all the time as parents. A verbal commitment to the word in our homes and a visible commitment to the word in our homes. Even when no one was speaking, the word was evident in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Even when parents are gone... Word on the doorposts of the houses and gates. 
make the word visible so that the word is passed on to the next generation, Psalm 78. What we do, this is all based on Psalm 78. We teach the scriptures from age to age, generation to generation. The word is intended to be handed on like a baton, 2 Timothy 3, Joshua 1, Hebrews 5. Teach your children to feast on the word. Teach them who God is. Don't just teach them to obey religious rituals, to follow life skills, to know. Teach them God. Teach them God, known by His Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2. Teach them who God is and teach them what God has done. Tell them, Psalm 78, the wonders God has done. Tell the stories. Tell your children that you're part of a long line. When I gather together with Heather and our boys at night and we have time in family worship, it's just this sobering reality that what, what we're doing when we come together at night with our kids for time in, the, in prayer and in the Word and worship, we're doing what Hebrew families did during the Passover when they remembered blood on the doorposts of their houses. And I'm telling them the same stories. Most, most popular song in our family worship time right now is Father Abraham. And we just get up and do the whole motions. I don't think the motions are necessarily biblical, but the stories, the stories are. So we teach them the scriptures. We tell them the stories. We warn against sinfulness. The whole context of Psalm 78 is a warning. Look at what the people of God have done in the past. How they didn't trust God. How they rebelled against God. Don't do that. Teach children to trust God based on those who've gone before us. So we warn against sinfulness and we exalt the Savior. We tell our children how God has always been merciful to His people. How God triumphs over grace, over transgressions with His grace. Tell your children that in Christ, God responds to our failures with His forgiveness. Exodus 34. And God responds to our faithlessness with His faithfulness. Oh, this is good. Why would we not want to work hard to pass this gospel on? More than passing on who's got the best stats on a football team. And when we do, what will happen? Psalm 78 says they will know God in their minds. This is what we want. We want our children to know God deeply. That their boast, Jeremiah 9, would not be in money or riches or jobs or careers, but in God. And all throughout all of these passages, know God. While we instruct them in the word, they will know God in their minds and they will trust God in their hearts. That head knowledge would become heart knowledge, that their hearts would belong to God, that they would taste and see that God is good. Psalm 34, hearts longing for God, trust God in their hearts and then obeying God with their lives. Isn't this what we long for? Don't we long for children and students to walk out of our homes, to finish high school in the church and walk into the world knowing God in a way that some atheistic professor on a college campus can't shoot down their faith just like that because, those, because they know a few facts here or there about God. But our children know God deeply, love God wholeheartedly, want to make the glory of God known to the ends of the earth sacrificially. This is what we want. So this is what we at, we're after in parenting. parenting. Teach your children so they know the word and then train your children so they obey the word. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6 says, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Discipline. And this is something we do out of love. The Bible is saying to do this, lovingly train them, discipline them to follow after Christ. Now, a reminder here, based on 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, our children will not be what they cannot see. And so again, the best gift that we can give Men to our children is being a man of God and a husband who's sacrificially loving his wife as Christ loves the church. Mom, best gift you can give, be a woman of God who is lovingly, gladly submitting to her husband and following after Christ and honoring Christ. This is what we, we need. 
One primary caution, Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Discipline your children with love that leads them toward God, not with anger that leads them away from God. You know, it's interesting. Of all the things the Bible could tell us about parenting, why does it tell us this right here in Ephesians 6? And I think the reason is twofold. On one hand, we have a temptation not to discipline our children. To be the parent who thinks that children, loving children means avoiding discipline. Switch Ephesians 6 1 around and say, Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to your home. Not biblical. Scripture says, If you do not discipline your children, you do not love your children. Discipline your children with love. Proverbs makes that clear. But don't go to the extreme in the sense that, that you begin to feed a heart. You're exasperating them in a heart that doesn't see the love behind the discipline. This is where Hebrews 12 is so helpful for us. Because Hebrews 12 reminds us that God is a good father because he disciplines. And how he disciplines us out of love. And we mirror him. So those are gospel instructions to parents. Now, children. What I love about Ephesians 6 is how Paul addresses children directly. Children would likely be present in the church as a letter, like letter to the Ephesians was, would, would be read. And the Bible says to children, you were made by God, which means you exist by Him and for Him, Colossians 1.16. And what that means is, children, you are responsible to God. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Don't miss what the word's saying here. Ch- children. You live in a self-absorbed culture where you are the prime object of your worship. And life revolves around you and your mind. And scripture says very clearly that is not true. You are under authority. God has made you. And he is Lord over you. And he has authority in your life. And you will be held accountable to the way you respond to mom and dad. And so what does God command you to do as a child? Two primary commands. Honor your parents with your attitude. Honor your father and your mother. Ascribe worth literally to your parents. Value your parents. God takes this seriously. You look in the Old Testament. God said, whoever strikes his mother or father shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. This is pretty important to God. You say, well, how do I honor my parents? And Ephesians 6 says, obey your parents with your actions. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word obey, it's a great compound word. It literally means to hear in a way that you put it into practice. In other words, you obey your parents first by hearing what they say, listening to them, to their advice, their instruction, their commands, and doing what they say. Even though it's not always easy, obviously children will find themselves doing things that they don't want to do. But God says, even when I don't understand why, Colossians 3.20, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is pleasing to God. And not to obey is offensive to God. So this is a caution in Ephesians chapter 6, and it is serious. One primary caution for children to dishonor or disobey your parents is to rebel against God. The only exception to that would be if your parents are telling you to do something that is clearly against God's will in his word. Obviously, don't follow follow a parent into rebellion against God. But with... One exception aside, all over Scripture, Exodus 21, Leviticus 19 and 20, Deuteronomy 21, God says, if you disobey mom or dad, you disobey me. To rebel against mom or dad is to rebel against me. If you are a 16-year-old and you decide that you're going to go against what your mom or dad has said, you are not just setting yourself up against them. You are setting up yourself against God. So don't be the kind of student... Teenagers that talks about how much you love God and want to grow in God and do great things for God and then go home and disobey your parents. Your spiritual life is not expressed primarily in what happens in the youth group. Your spiritual life is primarily expressed in what happens in your home. 
God says all of this for a reason. Because this is a, there's a promise here. A gospel promise. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. So as the gospel transforms our relationships as children and parents, God says, hear this promise. I will satisfy your lives. It will go well with you. And not only will it go well with you, but you will enjoy long life on earth. Now, obviously, that's open to misinterpretation if we individualize this. If these think, well, if I obey my parents, and I'll live till I'm 80 or 90 years old. It's not what the Bible's saying. It would break down on so many different levels. But this promise was given in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, given to a people, to, to the people of Israel. And then here in Ephesians chapter 6, to the body of Christ. And God is saying to his people, you live, parents, to pass the word on to the next generation. And children, you live to receive that word and pass it on. Then you, the people of God, will enjoy long life on earth. I will satisfy your lives and I will multiply your legacy. Which leads me to some just personal reflections on the gospel, parents and children. And that's exactly what they are. I put Psalm 128 here. This is the text that I preached at my dad's funeral. My dad, best friend, died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart attack when I was in seminary. And these were the words that most expressed the fruit of my dad's life. So, and this is just flowing from that. I won't have time to explain all this. But one, the favor of God is found in the fear of God. My lowercase f father taught me to fear my uppercase F father. He taught me in the healthiest ways to fear dishonoring my father, both on earth and in heaven. The wisdom of God, second, is found in the word of God. Only one source of true wisdom, that's the ways and the word of God. By God's grace, my dad loved the word. He was really excited when I went to seminary because he got to experience seminary vicariously through me. I gave him a copy of my systematic theology textbook. And for a while, I couldn't call home without getting questioned on my view of the atonement, nature of man, nature of God, pneumatology, angelology, eschatology, ecclesiology. Finally, I'd just say, man, can I just talk to mom? I just want to talk to mom. <laughs> Preaching was all other story. He'd, he'd call me up and he'd say, hey, I've been working on a sermon. Maybe try this one out and let me know how it goes. So... Wisdom of God found in the Word of God. Third, a wife is a treasure to be cherished. Cherished. My dad loved my wife well, and I, my two brothers and my sisters, saw it. Children are a gift to be nurtured. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. My dad loved his children by living for them and laying his life down to invest in them. His last three reflections, just the life that counts, flows from the presence of God. My dad taught me to pray in the living room of our home. To live in the presence of God. The life that counts advances the gospel of God. And the life that counts multiplies the glory of God. Psalm 128 says, may you live to see your children's children. And to be honest, this is one of the hardest parts of Psalm 128 for me. Because by all accounts, it seems like the blessing of God was all over my dad. And Psalm 128 lines up so directly in so many ways. But needless to say, my dad never got to meet Caleb or see Joshua or any other children the Lord may entrust to me. But I'll let you in on a little secret that my dad and his wisdom knew. My dad knew that God is glorified in the man who loves and serves his family. And the life that counts is not limited to what he sees in this life. The life that counts is consumed with what he will see in the next life. And I pray that one, one day he will see his children's children. Parenting is important. It's eternally important. As if, as if talking about my dad was not enough to make my heart a little tender, this issue makes my heart a little tender. Some of you know that we had the privilege of adopting our first son, Caleb, from Kazakhstan. We didn't think we were able to have children biologically, but two weeks after 
We got home. Uh, it turned out that my wife was pregnant. So apparently what happens in Kazakhstan doesn't stay in Kazakhstan. So, uh, want to give you a little foretaste of what's to come later in the evening. Just little, just little taste, just little taste. So nine months later, our son Joshua came along and in the process of adoption, we've just learned so much about God's care for the orphan. It's all over Old Testament, Psalm 10, you incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Psalm 27, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And then James 1, 27, Religion that God is, that is pure, undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their reflection and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we, we talked about at the last secret church kind of a doctrine of adoption. And so I'm going to fly through some of this stuff right here. But I, I simply want to show you the foundation, the gospel foundation for orphan care in the church and ask you to pray about whatever that might mean in your life and your family. There's no legislative picture of what this should look like in all of our lives and our families. But for us in the church, it is a priority upon us to care for the orphan. And so just let this soak in. By God's grace, we have been adopted as sons of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. What a great, there's so much in this verse. The reality is adoption requires someone who comes at the right time. God sending his son to the earth when the fullness of time had come. That was not an accident. It was intentional in every way. Jesus came at the right time. Theologically, religiously, culturally, politically. It's not that God was up in heaven thinking, hmm, things seems, seems like things are lining up well. Good time to send my son. No, God in his sovereignty designed all history to this point, to this point in time. At the right time, adoption requires someone who possesses the right qualifications. In order to adopt internationally, you basically got to show two governments that you are the ideal family. In order to take the penalty for our sin, there must be someone with the perfect qualifications. And Jesus had, has them, fully divine, fully human, fully righteous, from God, born of woman, born under law. Right qualifications, and finally, adoption requires someone who has the right resolve. Nobody adopts accidentally. You adopt purposefully. And the beauty is that we once stood in our sin, abandoned to our sins, separated from a holy God for all of eternity, and Jesus Christ pursued us in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons. He determined to redeem us and he died to rescue us, to adopt us. So by God's grace, we've been adopted as sons of God. And for God's glory, we've been given the privileges of sonship. So not just position of sons, but privileges of sonship. The gospel doesn't just say, okay, now you're a son. Now just live however you want. The reality is, Heather and I stood outside a courtroom in Kazakhstan where we adopted Caleb from. And we're just weeping. After this judge makes this pronouncement that he's now our son, that's not where the story ended. That's where the story began in a whole new way where we had been told at every point in this adoption journey to guard our hearts because you never know when something might not go through. And so now as this pronouncement comes, we were just free to pour out our hearts. We bring him into this little apartment where we're staying in Kazakhstan and we just begin to shower him with love. And this is the, and, 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 and this is how this is how Caleb knows that he's my son now. Not because of what, if, what happened a couple of years ago in Kazakhstan. He knows my son now because I woke him up this morning, gave him a hug and a kiss, and I told him I loved him and started wrestling with him on the floor. That's love. <laughs> and so there's not a biblical parallel for that part. But love, yes. The reality is we're sons and daughters of God. He's our father. We pray our father in heaven. 
He loves us. He understands us. He provides for us. We don't have any reason to worry. We have a Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 6. He loves to give and He loves to forgive. He forgives us. Do we still sin against Him? Yes, dreadfully we do. But we have a Father who forgives us. He disciplines us. We need it, Hebrews 12. He leads us. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He is our chi- He's our Father and we are His children. And as His children, brothers and sisters, we have a new name. We have a new spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have access to the Father's presence. So I come home from work and the... Boys meet me as I come in. They jump on me and they, they initiate the wrestling. Joshua just immediately, he introduced, he, we have to introduce. He says, introducing Daddy the Dominator, Caleb the Crusher, and Joshua the Arizona Warner Lizard. This is who we are. And we just go at it. And this is the privilege we have because father and sons to think that we have access to the presence of God our Father, to enjoy Him, to be with Him. Let's go to His Throne with confidence. Enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. You do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Why run after the pleasures and pursuits and things of this world when you have a Father who is ready to give you everything you want and everything you need? So what are the implications of this? I think they're clear. We worship God as our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We glorify God our Father. Let them see your good works and glorify Him. Imitate God our Father. We obey God our Father. And, here it is, we reflect God our Father. He is the Father of the fatherless. So, those who follow Him visit orphans. You know what's interesting about that word visit? It literally means to look after. It's, <laughs> you're like, what, what was that? I didn't even know where we are. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Toward, pick up the pace. You look at that word visit in James 1.27, and it literally means to look after, to attend to. Not just a visit to say hello, but to take responsibility for. The same word, we won't go through all these scriptures, but all the scriptures under James 1.27, all of these different scriptures are using the same term that's translated visit in James 1.27. And you'll see how God provides for his people, redeems his people, takes responsibility for his people. And that word visit has an antonym, has an opposite. And that opposite is to neglect, to forget. So you got look after, take responsibility for, or neglect, or forget. And so, here's the deal. There's over 140 million orphans in the world. And that number can be a bit misleading, if we're not careful. Because by that definition of orphan, that includes anyone who's lost a parent. So that doesn't necessarily mean children who've lost both of their parents. But nevertheless, there are millions and millions of children who have lost both of their parents. Many of whom who have absolute... They know family to care for them. And so I would say, on the authority of God's word, to brothers and sisters who have been adopted by God, ignorance regarding orphans is biblically inexcusable. You know, this is one of the things I learned in the adoption process in my own life. I'd read the statistics before. I'd seen the number of orphans in the world, and they were overwhelming. But if if I'm honest, they were still just numbers to me. But everything changed on our first trip to this orphanage in Kazakhstan. And I saw children playing outside and I walked past their rooms inside. And suddenly those names, those numbers on pages came alive in my heart because I realized it was Caleb who was sleeping in one of those cribs. And it was, it was Caleb who was included in those numbers. And all of a sudden numbers became real and personal. And I realized that orphans are easier to forget until you see their faces. And they're easier to forget until you know their names. 
And it's easier to pretend they're not real until you hold them in your arms. But once you do, everything changes. And so I would ask, are you willing to see their faces and get to know their names and hold them in your arms? Are you willing to visit, look after those who have no one to look after them? In light of this word in James 1, 27, I think it's clear that inaction is, in, is action. Do not forget. Do not overlook. And see how the gospel uniquely drives orphan care. This is huge. So th- there's, there's almost a, a trend in some ways today toward adoption. And people adopting for humanitarian, altruistic reasons. And when you get down to it, some adopting just because it seems like a neat thing to do. It would be nice to have a cute Christmas card with somebody different from a different country on there. We wouldn't say that out loud, but sometimes that's what we're thinking in the back of our minds. And I want to encourage you, if that is your motivation, not to adopt. Because the reality is adoption may not be an easy road. As we have put a huge emphasis here in this faith family on adoption, many families have gone through really challenging circumstances. And it's not always easy, whether here in the church or people I talk beyond this church. What are you going to do when a child may come into your midst who is a physical threat to your other children? What are you going to do when that child who for years has had people push him or her off such that now whenever you try to show love to him or her, they resist it at every turn? What are you going to do when it's tough? And the reality is the only thing that will sustain you at that point is a gospel that reminds you that you too were once dead in sin, totally abandoned from your father, and he continued to pursue you. Though there was nothing in you to draw him to you, he still pursued you. And that's where we realize we we care for orphans, not because we're rescuers. We're not a group of good altruistic people out to be saviors for orphans around the world. That's not what drives orphan ministry. We care for orphans, not because we're rescuers. We care for orphans because we're the rescued. And the gospel drives that. So our story continues to make a long story really short. We, we knew we wanted to adopt again. And so a few years ago, we started the process again. And there have been a lot of ups and downs and challenges along the way. But today, we got news that two weeks from now, we will go to China and pick up a little girl there. So I'll show you a picture of her on the screen. Okay, there are... There's like a billion people in China, but this is the cutest one there is. And we, there's actually a group from Brook Hills that has gone to the orphanage where she is. And they had an opportunity to, uh, to take her gifts from us. But this gift did not come from us. Somebody gave her that. So just look at the look on her face. She's like, what? How did I get stuck with the family that's like rebelling against the American dream? <laughs> Everything I've been told, he's leaving it behind. So, may God receive great glory in the church as the gospel compels you and me to care for orphans. The gospel and the orphan. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at radical.net.